Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, we're back here in this lovely week five. Week five. Um, it's Alex, Ryan, and Sam here today. Um, say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Cool. Cool joke, both of you. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so... Coming up this week, we got Texas Tech. Obviously, coming off the bye week, we don't have any OU football to talk about, which is miserable. Um, yeah. But uh, coming up, we've got Texas Tech and also a little bit of news. I guess we'll start with the news. Sure. Um, definitely yeah. the weirdest um, and definitely the most interesting news OU had come out this week was that Trajan Bridges has started practicing at least in limited amounts um with the defense as a safety yeah i think specifically he's playing the nickel position which is very strange um i mean obviously trajan bridges came in he was a five-star wide receiver and you know a really elite athlete um and it just hasn't worked out for him so far this season to where he's been able to get a lot of playing time, mostly due to the fact that he's sitting behind um, Charleston Rambo, who's leading the team in receiving right now, and he's sitting behind Jaden Hazelwood, who, I mean, we're all fans of him, and right. he has been pretty incredible so far. Um, so, yeah, it has the opportunities haven't been just plentiful, I guess, is the way to put it, and... To me, it really seems like a an inpatient freshman. It's a guy that like has never not played before, and right. you know he's getting his first taste of of having to sit on the bench, and he's just it seems like he just doesn't like it. And mm-hmm. um, I can respect this decision. I think it's a bit strange because um, you know it's a guy that was a five star wide receiver. He's a guy that. When he's played so far this year, he's looked good. It's like it's not like he's struggling. You know, mm-hmm. he's playing well. It just happens that he's behind two guys that are also really, really good. And, but I think the odds of him at least finding some sort of rotational role throughout the season at receiver are pretty good. It just seems like he's not willing to wait that long. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was always the worry when you get three five-stars in the same class and – two guys that are already there, one very established and one semi-established ahead of them. Like this was going to be a worry. And I was, especially whenever it was potential four guys with RJ Henderson, you're like, all right, someone's going to transfer. Um, and even still, when you have three guys come in, the worry is that someone's going to be upset with the amount of playing time and end up transferring. But I think one, it's like, obviously you're not going to be happy not playing. And it's, I think it shows more about his character that he is he's not pouting about it and he just wants to be on the field and do something for the team. So he's like giving it a try. And two, I think like, you know, if this actually turns into something and does pan out, then that's a great way to get all of these guys doing something right away. And also if you can like fully turn him into like a Jabril Peppers, a Dory Jackson, do it all type, that's just another recruiting tool you have to show like it doesn't matter how many guys, like if we have a loaded recruiting class, we'll still find a way for you. Right. I was really fascinated when I learned that this was something he had brought up to the coaches. Um, 
there's definitely like there's definitely an element of like impatience in that like alex said but also like i think of that in the context of like how he has played on special teams like like making great tackles on kickoff returns and it's like this is a guy who is interested in playing football and really wants to do whatever he can to play football um and for him to like recognize a team need and be like oh i'll do it is pretty cool i'm gonna i'll say cool really cautiously well Um, what i'll say when i say impatient i i don't mean that in a negative sense right right in this in this particular instance like obviously there are plenty of examples of guys getting impatient around the country but Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's a positive thing for the football team that you've got a guy who was a five star in high school as a receiver that's already he sees an opening, he sees a weakness. Like we've all talked about the safety position is and the nickel position is probably the weakest position on the team. And he sees himself as an elite athlete and he's like, Hey, he's I'm wrong. a five star sitting on the bench. I'm an elite athlete. I'm a better athlete than anybody we have playing these positions right now. I can get out there and beat these guys and play, you know, like I think he sees, he sees the guys that he has in front of him at receiver. And he's like, yeah, they're pretty damn good. And he sees those guys at safety. He looks at Buki and he's like, I'm a foot taller than this guy. I can beat him for his position. You know what I mean? And I respect that. Like, I think that's a really competitive way to think of it. And it's like, you know, it's definitely not the, you know, People have this kind of stereotype of kids these days where they just the first sign of adversity, they like run like he's kind of seemingly running towards adversity at this, you know, in this sense. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I'm, I'm interested in it. I I'm concerned a little bit. Like, honestly, I think he could be a really freaking good nickelback and a good yeah. or safety, whatever. Like he's got elite, elite ball skills. I think he might have the best ball skills of any of our freshman receivers. And it would be awesome to have a guy covering guys with size. Like he's six one, six two. He's got great size. He's really athletic. He's got incredible ball skills. Like you're not mm-hmm. throwing fades and jump balls against Trajan Bridges. No. Like he's gonna come down with that. So I I kind of like the idea. I'm a bit concerned, and it's gonna sound weird, but the thing that concerns me the most about this is that he's gonna be really good at it, and we're just gonna have to switch him to safety because I mean if you've got an elite athlete that's playing really well on defense, you'd be insane to not play him on defense, you know? And I think that that could really impact our receiver depth because if you look at our roster and look at some things, you know, obviously CD lamb's not going to be here next year. AD Miller's not going to be here next year. We get really thin at wide receiver really fast. If he were to come in here and like, just kill it at this position and make that switch. So if I could be guaranteed that OU was going to, you know, close out the recruiting class this year with like two high level wide receiver recruits, I'd feel a lot better about it. But as it stands, it's a little concerning to me looking towards the future of the wide receiver depth. Mm. Well, yeah, I can definitely see that. Uh, though <laughs> I got so there a bit of an in joke um with the our friend group and I uh was uh the first time I ever saw Adore Jackson highlights. Uh this was when he was a recruit. Um <laughs> my immediate response was, Oh yeah, I think I'm an Adore fan. Uh 
And ever since then, I have really wanted OU to have an Adore Jackson. Um, and that is one aspect of this, uh, of the sort of recruiting OU has done that hasn't really shown up at all, which is like, you get the crazy athletes like Adore Act, like Adore Jackson, or like uh, a guy like Miles Jack, you know, guys who legitimately play on both sides of the ball. Um, and like those guys exist. And if Trajan Bridges can be that, then that's like the most exciting thing I can imagine. And also, like, if he comes here as a five-star receiver and then, like, balls out on both sides of the ball, he is, like, an OU folk hero forever. Right. I just, I don't see that as realistic, man. Like, I, I mean, I think about guys like Jabril Peppers and Miles Jack, and those guys were seeing spot duty at running back. You know what right. I mean? They weren't playing receiver in this ridiculous offense. And a guy like Adoree Jackson, like that guy was, you know, seeing spot duty at receiver on a team that needed playmakers. Like if Trajan Bridges is playing defense for most of his time, he's not going to be able to compete with the guys that are in front of him at receiver. Right. And it's going to be tough for him to a, see the field. And like, is he really going to be happy if he's, a defensive player that kind of sees some, maybe some backup minutes at receiver. I don't know. Like, I don't see that as like a legitimate path, you know? And I look at those right. teams that um, employed those guys. UCLA wasn't that good, you know, like they were fine, but they weren't an OU caliber team. None of those teams were an OU caliber team. Michigan was the best one. And Jabril Peppers played like wildcat like quarterback like it wasn't like he was out there you know running complex route trees like it was he gets the ball and he runs you know it wasn't a a complex thing so I have I have concerns in that regard Um, I also think it's interesting because if you look at the NFL um, you know to me like you want to be a wide receiver in the NFL in 2019. Like that's, right. that's a position that you get paid a lot of money to play in the NFL. If you're a really good receiver, you can play in the league for a while and get paid a lot of money. And, you know, like I, I know that, you know, that could be said for safeties and nickelbacks or whatever, but I think receiver is probably a bit more high profile of a position. So I, I just, I'm skeptical that this is going to be like a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is cool to see, like, maybe he gets out there this year and is able to kill it, and he's at just what we need to get through the Big 12 season at Nickelback. We were talking last week that we don't have a good answer for the Nickelback position. Maybe Trajan Bridges is, is the guy that can come in and, and you right. know, maybe just spot duty and really help us out at that position for this year mm-hmm. and then switch back to receiver. Like, that's that's really what I guess would be a good result for this like it might it might wind up being nothing like he's fine but he's not good enough to play this year and then he plays receiver next year and nothing ever happens yeah and also lincoln riley has been quoted as saying this is a bigger media story from the media and within these walls his quote was it's not nearly as big a story within these walls as it's been outside of them so we could just be wasting our breath and never see any of this but you know it's fun to talk about Sure. Fun to dream. 
I also think Lincoln Riley is a liar in his press conferences, but Oh yeah. Lincoln oh, doesn't sure. tell you jack shit. Like he's he is like a the epitome of a college football coach in that way. So Right, like <laughs> to the degree that it is it pisses off other coaches. Right. Um Yeah. I w- I guess my last thing is uh just thinking about the idea like if he is good enough that we have to play him at safety next year. I feel like that's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I think we'll probably make it work. We need guys that are good at that position. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just saying that, you know, it, it's kind of wild to think of a, you know, Lincoln Riley as an offensive coach and for him to like let potentially one of his best offensive playmakers switch to defense would be surprising, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, like it just, if we close out the 2020 recruiting class at receiver well, then my concerns will be less. I just won't have as many concerns. Like, or if right. we, you know, hell, we could take a grad transfer wide receiver. We are, we've definitely done that before. So, like, mm-hmm. there are ways that we can kind of fix that problem, and it would be a, probably a good problem to have. Right. Um, but that's just where my head kind of goes to when I think about this this situation uh real quick before because we're gonna go talk about the um, actual game actual game and just college football in general um there's been a couple guys going to the transfer portal off the defense and those two guys are starlin baldwin and jonathan perkins and i could not care less that they called starlin baldwin yeah well i mean it's been rumored for a while now and like the it, he never made sense with Alex Grinch. Like he's just nothing like what Alex Grinch wants in his corners. And Jonathan Perkins, same thing. Like that dude. Like you have to have some physical ability to play at Oklahoma. Like I, I don't know what they ever saw in him to play linebacker at OU. Like he's small. He's not fast. Not he's not quick. He's not the most instinctual guy. Like it's. It never made sense to take him. It was just kind of, I think, Tim Kish's last fuck you to everybody before he left. Because um, he was the fucking one linebacker we signed last year. Even though, I mean, there were like three in-state linebackers that were better than him. And we just ignored all of them because we had this guy. And it was it was always going to be a mistake. And I'm just happy that like he already sees the writing on the wall. He's not wasting his time. He's not wasting our time. Maybe that opens up a spot. We can take another linebacker in the 2020 class. There's some pretty talented guys we're after. So I'm actually really excited about it. Starwin Baldwin, same thing. Maybe we can take an extra corner for the class. Like as many of these guys on the fringes that just, you know, even, even if they're in their first year, if they don't fit what Grinch wants, then they just need to go. So we can fill those spots with guys that fit what our new, our good defensive coordinator wants. We need guys we need fewer and fewer of Kerry Cooks and Mike Stoops and Tim Kish guys. We need those guys out of here so we can get the real the real players. Right. Um, any other any other thoughts on the um, the defensive transfers from you, Sam? Nope. Pretty much the same thing. Didn't right. even know who Jonathan Perkins was. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and like uh, if you don't follow recruiting, you wouldn't know who. Yeah, yeah like I looked at, I was like, I saw it happen. I was like, I don't, I the name seems familiar, but definitely wasn't. See, I, I, 
I follow recruiting, I think, a reasonable amount. I'm very familiar with all the five stars and four stars coming in, familiar with pretty much any Oklahoma guy. This guy was none of those things. And so I didn't know him, didn't think he factored in at all, and so saw it and didn't care. Yeah, like he's – it's a good thing. Like he's being able to fill his spot with somebody that will actually be able to contribute is – this is a a very big – a big positive. And like – there's probably some guys on the defensive line that I think are going to follow and uh, follow this guy. Not necessarily that are from this past class, but looking mostly at the 2017 class, there might be some D linemen ready to kind of head out at that point or at this point. So, um, but it's, I think again, it's good. It's good to see that the roster does need some turnover at, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, all right. So do we want to talk about, I guess, in regards to the game this weekend, um, I mean, obviously, I'm always excited to watch how you play football. Like, there's, right. there's no doubt about it. But I, I don't think we're going to learn anything, especially with Alan Bowman being out. I don't think we're going to really know all that much about OU until we play Texas. Right. Like, I think, I think we are a really good football team. We talked last week that we think we are very, very good, and we've kind of gone into another plane of like just having more talent than we've had in the past years. And I think that that's going to carry us a long ways, but we don't know for sure how, I mean, our offense looks better than it's ever looked. Like how is that going to look when we're playing against Texas? You know, like we're really not going to know until we play Texas. Right. Like Mm -hmm. to give you an understanding of like Jalen's numbers right now are better than Kyler's were. Yeah. And Kyler's numbers were better than Baker's and Baker's numbers were the best in history. So, Like this is this is just where we're at now, um, and yeah, like this game against Tech, Tech is okay at best, and they're significantly worse than that now that Alan Bowman is hurt. Um, it's this this is going to be another game like last week. In all likelihood, it's going to be another game like last week, which was another game like the week before, and by last week, right. I mean two weeks ago, of course. Um, right. And that's going to be another, which was another game. Honestly, the Houston game was the most competitive game we've played. And that was like, you know, we still saw a lot of Tanner Mordecai in that game. Right. Yeah. That game was over in the first half, you know, like it, right. you know, they made a run, but it wasn't really competitive. You know, oh, you had kind of shut it down. And if honestly, if we hadn't shut it down as much as we did, we would have, we would have beat them by a much, much more comfortable margin. And right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have much to say about this game. I don't really, I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm actually going to miss some of it, which kind of sucks, but, um, I don't really have many thoughts about it. It's another football game that will happen at 11 AM. Um, I think the next, or yeah, our next three games are all scheduled for 11 AM. So the, the evening kickoffs have, They've been nice while they were going on, but we're gonna we're in for a bit of an 11 a.m. Yeah. streak. Are you, yeah, and, are you ready for us to become the essence of Big Noon Saturday? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna Which happen. Isn't, it's not a good phrase, right? It's not no, a catchy slogan. It doesn't make sense. It's nothing. Big Big Noon big, makes no sense. I mean, noon. Big Ten and Big Twelve teams play in it, I guess, but yeah, it it's very weird. It's also it, at 11 on the East Coast. 
It's on or, what? Uh, oh, no, it's only 11 central, central time. Yeah, it's 11, yeah, 11 central. central. Yeah, so it's not even big noon. Yeah, none of the Big Ten or Big 12 teams play in that time zone, except West Virginia, I assume. I really don't yeah. know what t- what time zone Morgantown is, but oh, I know it's over no, it's, there's yeah. there's a few there's a few Big Ten schools that do like, State, for sure. Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, yeah, they do. Um, the all right. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna go ahead and just move on past this game, and um, we're not gonna learn anything. I think we're gonna win handily. Y'all got any score predictions? Forty forty eight. To fourteen, let's just go with the same score as the UCLA game. So, yeah, Yeah. this is um, (laughs) to get sort of sort of an outlandish uh, comparison here. This is a real. um, We're in the bit of the anime where the battle needs to last longer. Yes. (laughs) So, with just uh, it's it's this is like week four of uh, Goku versus Vegeta or whatever. Uh, just still yelling, just still yelling at each other and charging up. Nothing new is going to happen. Yep. Um, and there you go. Texas Tech, Oklahoma with Alan Bowman out. <sighs> Not going to learn anything. Going to watch the, a lot of fun yeah. points scored. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to score like any fun points without Alan Bowman. Oh, no. They're going like, to score a lot of really boring points, yeah. actually. Gonna I'm going to say like 45 20. And that's, that 20 is only because they're going to get so many possessions. Right. Okay. Like they're going to get a lot of cracks at it. Sure. Um, yeah. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on to. We have. I think we kind of came up with a list of, you know close to 10 things like including the Trajan Bridges stuff uh, that we wanted to talk about in this podcast. And we're going to try and not go for four hours, but you know, right. You know what we didn't talk about in pre-show? How long is the timer we're going to set? I think five is probably a good, good number, right? All right. So um, here I'll set the timer. I've got it. Okay. He's got it. All right. Tell me when, tell me when we go. Let's go now. All right. UCLA Wazoo was a wild, wild game. 67-63. Went to like 1 in the morning here. Past yeah. 1 in the morning, I think. Nearly yeah, hit like 1 in the morning local. I was on the East right. Coast then, and I was like, man, I don't know how y'all do this East Coast shit. Because I didn't even stay up to, on Friday night to watch Utah USC because that East Coast is brutal. So right. I did not right. watch that UCLA it's game. Amazing. Now you can understand we, what the Pac-12 means when they say that none of their players are in Heisman consideration. <laughs> right. Well, can we talk about just the idea? Like, I turned the game on when it was 49-17, to 17, and the, the entire talk was that Wazoo's quarterback had, you know, I think he had seven touchdown passes at that time. I think he threw all their touchdowns. And, you know, it, was, it looked bleak. It was just another week of UCLA football. And, like, I had nothing better to do. I was playing FIFA, and I had the game on my laptop while I was playing. And I was just like, I'm just going to have it on in case something weird happens. And uh, something weird happened, (laughs) and UCLA decided to play really, really well. um, And they wound up scoring 50 points from that point on and winning the damn football game in regulation. Um, It was one of the crazier games I've ever seen. Dorian Thompson Robinson went from looking like one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen to just, he looked like freaking Kyler Murray out there in the second half. 
It was just unbelievable right. to watch. Right. Um, it's a point you made. My experience with this game was that I had I watched Oklahoma State, Texas. I had retired for the evening. Saw people tweeting about this wacky game, and I was like, "Oh, that that's that's normal." You know, I'll learn what happened in that uh, tomorrow morning. And then it just wouldn't stop. So eventually, right. I was like, "Okay, I guess I have to watch this now." Yeah. So I got to watch like the last five minutes, which was like four touchdowns. Right. Well, the thing is, like insane stats like anthony gordon threw nine touchdown passes in this game for wazoo and lost the game wazoo had 720 yards and lost the game wazoo turned it over six times to ucla's one wazoo turned it over six times and still scored 63 points right wazoo turned it over two more times than the number of points they lost by right um ucla was like two of nine on third down yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, once things got rolling for them, they were just not ever seeing third down. Like right. most of their drives were one or two play drives. And it was just insane. It was yeah. just hilarious to watch, man. And right. towards and, the end, UCLA was down three uh, and they had um, they were facing a fourth down. Uh, they miss it. And luckily, Chip Kelly was wise enough to call the uh, make them fumble play. Uh, they get it right back and score for the win yeah yeah that was insane it was just washington state just decided they didn't want to win the game like they just they got a 49 to 17 and thought okay we're just we're done anything beyond this i don't know i don't know if they just were like expecting ucla to quit trying and they it was just such an unbelievable game to watch and dorian thompson robinson let's talk about Dorian Thompson Robinson, when he has time to pass the football versus when he's playing OU and he's got Jalen Redmond and Ronnie Perkins in his face because the dude looked incredible and he was also like fighting through an injury too. And he was still throwing visible pain the entire time. Yeah. Throwing darts all over the field to these receivers that, yeah, he just, he looked unbelievable. It was like, Oh, that's the guy that I thought had some potential last year when I saw him in Norman. You know, like he made some right. throws last year in Norman. And you're like, he's got a future. And watching him in this game, it was like, holy shit. This guy looks incredible. He looked like a freaking Heisman winner. And yeah, it was it was just unbelievable. Anthony Gordon just throwing nine touchdown passes, a right. school record, losing the football game. It's hilarious the history that Washington State has of like breaking ridiculous records and still losing in the process. Right, like, like a, Was- a Washington State quarterback holds the record for uh, passing attempts in a loss, uh, presumably yards in a loss, yards in a loss, tied with Pat Mahomes. Uh, right. Completed passes in a loss, I'm assuming, and now touchdowns thrown in a loss. Yep, just um, and also incredible. like. Is it passing touchdowns, period? No. I mean, it's... it's it is, is, have there been more the than nine? Record. Yeah, 11's the record. All right, then. All right, yeah. that's, that's time that's on that five, one. That's the five minutes on that one. Let's go to the next one, Ryan. Okay, next we have Kansas State, are they good? I don't know. I don't know if they're good yet. I mean, their first games were against, like, Bowling Green, who's... 
the worst FBS t- or like bottom five FBS team, and then Nickel State, who's not a great FCS team. I think they're fine FCS wise, but still. And then they beat Mississippi State in just an insanely weird game. Like they only gained two hundred sixty nine. There it is, two hundred sixty nine yards. Skylar Thompson is a bad quarterback. Like that game. Did you guys see that? You guys watched it. The yeah. weird turnovers that were in it. Like the they had a they threw a pick. Mississippi State threw a pick and then laid the Kansas State guy out and recovered a fumble on the pick. They had a couple. They had a punt that they Kansas State ran into and then Mississippi State recovered it and then they did that for a touchdown drive. Yeah, two times. It was yeah. just an insanely weird game. That Kansas State definitely deserved to win, but I'm not sure we really learned that much from them. I mean, right. Mississippi State's starting quarterback was hurt and then went out during that game. Yeah. So, I what I will say about them is that I think it's possible that they have been really drugged down these past few years by Bill Snyder. And for obvious reasons, the guy was 112 years old and should have retired probably four or five years ago. Um, And so it would make sense that first year of not having that guy and hiring a seemingly competent, good football coach that you would see an uptick in production. And I think that might be what we're going to see this year. I think they will be an improved team. I don't think they're good offensively. Like, you know, like you said, they had 269 yards and but I, I saw something from them defensively and granted Mississippi State's offense has been terrible the last two years. So maybe it's just that. Um, but I do think that defensively they have the potential to be much improved. Skylar Thompson still sucks like they didn't run the ball particularly well. Um, I mean, they had 146 yards, four yards of carry like it was fine. But Skyward Thompson threw for 123 yards on 10 of 18 passing. Like, it wasn't an impressive right. performance at all. Like, so it's just, you know, that it, that game was weird in that, like, if they played 10 times, they probably split 5 to 5. Like, that's just how it probably would go. Um, which I guess is impressive. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about K-State yet. You know, that is the only time I've watched them. I do know that when they shut out UTEP, UTEP might be the worst team in college football. So I don't think we learned anything there. But um, I'll be really interested to see them as they progress because, you know, this this year in the Big 12 was weird enough. Like, would any of us be surprised if K-State wound up finishing like second in the Big 12 if, you know, just in like the weird year? Um, yeah, just, I mean, I could like stumbling. I, I think I projected them to finish eighth, and I could definitely see them finishing seventh or second. Like, yeah, yeah, they're just weird, and it's weird because I didn't really like them coming in the season. Obviously, I love the high, the climbing higher, um, and they're playing well right now. But I'm still not sold, and like S and P Plus is very sold, and a lot of people seem very sold, and I'm just not. I'm I'm yeah. really interested this week. They play Oklahoma State. And that it will tell us a lot because yeah. Oklahoma State is good offensively. Um, they're very predictable offensively, but they're good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how they um, how they respond, how OSU responds to a loss to Texas from this past week, which I think I'm going to be at that game too. So that's oh, that's exciting. In, that will be interesting. While right. while the rest of you suckers are watching it on ESPN Plus, <laughs> so. 
here here's a fun exercise we were talking we're talking about this team um that i think this really cements kansas state definitely as a weird team um, yeah alex you had said that you feel like kansas state is going to be is anemic offensively but like defensively there's something going on there um a very frustrating aspect of the season is that Bill Connolly's move to ESPN has meant that he no longer has time to do his advanced statistical profiles, yeah. um, which limits my access to advanced stats. But foot, Football Outsider still gives line stats, and I've got some interesting ones here. Hit me. I mean, it's early in the season, but Kansas State's offensive line is essentially top 10. Wow. Uh, obviously, the, I mean, they haven't really played much, but like sixth in... Uh, line yards, sixth in line yards on standard downs, 23rd in line yards on passing downs, 13th in opportunity rate, uh, skipping right over power success rate like it doesn't exist. Uh, stuff rate, uh, they're 11th. Um, for the record, their, their power success rate right now is 81st, but it's like, that's a very small sample size. Um, yeah. Defensively, they are... Uh, Let's see, Kansas State's 69th in line yards allowed, 47th in line yards and standard downs, 121st in line yards and passing downs allowed. Um, awesome. 33rd in opposing opportunity rate, uh, 75th in stuff rate. So so clearly the, the numbers like their, their offense more than their defense. At least um, at the line. Yeah, at the, at the yeah. moment, yeah. On the line, yeah. and I think a lot of that's probably having to do with the Nichols and Bowling uh, yeah. Green matchups. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. But and still, I it's think odd part because of... you think of Kleiman and you think of Kansas State, and it's like surely the offensive line is the or the offensive and defensive lines are going to be the units to get this done for them, right? Right. That is time. So let's move on. Okay. Next topic. <laughs> the haves versus the have-nots, the top six, and the gap between it and the rest of the country. All right. So it, this is not a, you know, this is not a uh, unique topic at all. There's a lot of people talking about this. But um, obviously it seems so far that college football has kind of established a, a top six that I would probably be willing to bet money the – Playoff is derived of some combination of these six teams. Obviously, Alabama and Clemson, um, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, and Oklahoma are that top six. Um, you know, they've looked. All six teams have looked really, really good, um, except for maybe, arguably, Georgia. But I think we can talk about them a little bit later. Right. Um, so, first of all, in like. To really nail this home, all you have to do is go look at just the rankings. And immediately in the AP poll, Auburn is number seven. Wisconsin, right. eight. Florida's nine. Notre Dame's ten. Like, I don't think Auburn, right. Wisconsin, Florida, Notre Dame are playing within ten points of any of those top six teams. Right. You look at the top six, and then you look at the next six, and it's like... You've got like playoff teams and like outback bowl teams. Right. Yeah, yeah. Auburn could wind is probably gonna wind up going something nine and three, you know, ten and two, nine and three or something. Florida, are we really do we really believe in Kyle Trask? Have you guys watched him at all? He's I not watched him toss an incredible late pitch in that Kentucky game. 
he's he's not very good. Like I, that dude, yeah, that dude's gonna throw a lot of interceptions this year. Um, so that's that's an issue. I think Wisconsin is very good for Wisconsin, but there we know that that version of Wisconsin when they play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, it's gonna look like two different. Like yeah. it's gonna look like an FCS team versus a Division one team. You know, right. like just from an athlete yeah. standpoint. Yeah, w- like Wisconsin is going to push around everybody in the West, and it's going to be fine. And then they're going to get to – well, actually, it won't be fine because they have to play Ohio State in the regular season this year. Right. Um, with, so, like, twice this season, you'll get to watch Wisconsin suddenly discover that humans are fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's – that's yeah. It, they're They're good at what they do. You know, they've got a bunch of Wisconsin guys on their offensive line that are going to find out, oh, when we're playing legitimate five-star athletes on the defensive line, it becomes an issue that it's just a bunch of three-star Wisconsin guys. You know, yeah. like that's... I would love to see Jack Cohn attempt to scramble for 28 yards against Ohio State's defense. Right, exactly, which, good Lord, Ohio State has looked good so far. My goodness. Um, yeah, Florida, No. Like their their quarterback play is not good enough. Like I I don't like much about that team. Auburn Bo Nix is actually just ass. Like I don't know if you guys are aware. Um, the guy's bad. Like and that's not saying that he's always going to be bad. No, he's gonna be good. But he is currently he is, bad. Yeah, it is too soon, and that's yeah. okay. But yeah, it's not number seven. Okay. No. Like it's, it just really illustrates like that to me is like the biggest thing, like seeing number six in the AP poll be Oklahoma and then Auburn is number seven. Like that's, that's pretty startling. Honestly, it's like, I watched them. I've watched them a couple times this year. They shouldn't have beat Oregon. They held on to beat A&M. Like they look, their defense is really freaking good. And their defensive line is so, so talented. Like i was impressed. There's no doubt. But when you are getting to the top level of college football, you've got to be able to put points on the board and Auburn's just not going to be able to do it. Yeah. It's, um, (laughs) it's just so weird to see a team ranked seventh who is starting a freshman at quarterback and he's not doing a very good job. Right. Yeah. It's very strange. Like, and it makes sense. Like he's a freshman starting the sec, but it really seems like, media people want him to be incredible and he just hasn't been and it's just like anytime he does something just competent people were just like oh that's so impressive you know and i'm just that dude overthrew like six open receivers down the field against a yep. or else they would have blown the doors off of a&m right which um, shouts shouts to a&m sucking that's that's always fun <laughs> don't worry their schedule gets easier yeah, yeah. Well, we we we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, right. Sam, do you have thoughts on on this subject? Um, yeah, I think Wisconsin. I mean, for all of Michigan's flaws and like how much of a mess they look, they do still have a lot of talent. And I think um, Wisconsin. It still is an incredibly impressive win that they had against Michigan, and just the way that they moved the ball. I remember. I mean, he had one long carry, but at one point, Jonathan Taylor had like. 11 carries for 130 yards which is good against any team and then when you're doing that against a team like michigan i mean regardless of the state they're in like that is very good Uh and so i think i agree with you that this is just 
maybe and one of the best iterations they have of a classic Wisconsin team, which like probably gonna be like Rose Bowl champion Wisconsin, depending on yeah. you know, how Ohio State does. Um, but I think yeah, I don't think it's playoff contender with Jack Cohn and I mean no really no passing game to speak of. But I do right. think like I think they are right on that cusp of you know they could if they somehow pull off an undefeated season like you know they they would put up a great 31 to 13 showing against Clemson in the playoff right it, yeah yeah they would get outclassed for sure right. i would be um, really annoyed by clemson yet again having the opportunity to like sort of coast through the first week of the playoff as well right but, um, that's yeah that's fair um yeah, and I mean, I know Notre Dame just played Georgia, and we have this on our schedule to talk about, so I guess I could say that, right? Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, or yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, so this top six gap, which we feel is maybe, if not widening, certainly solidifying, like, what are the consequences this is happening, having uh, elsewhere in the sport? Like, what's going on? I I don't think it's that bad of a thing. Like this has really always been the case. Right. It's this Maybe, isn't unprecedented, but I do and, think like it's that we were in a period of flux uh over the past like probably 10 years, like 6 or 7 years I would say, with the exception of Alabama, of course. Right. Um, right. But so like now to see this sort of solidify back into like sort of the like 70s style Right, we have a defined upper class in this sport. Yeah, uh, and not just an upper class, but like we have a defined top six. Sure, you know. Well, and I will say that I think there will be some rotation in that you know five six spot or six right. slots. Like, I mean, LSU could easily fall out of this. Like, you know, right. really the SEC teams, SEC teams can fall out because they. You know, they have a very tough road. Like, it just is, that's right. how it is. And you could see Auburn slide in there some years. You know, maybe a Penn State could get in there. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's go, there's going to be an upper class. There always has been. Um, I guess maybe that it's kind of established itself earlier in the season this year. But usually I think that it's probably just a fluke that the second-tier teams aren't quite as good as they usually are. They've got some... You know, Auburn's got a freshman quarterback. Auburn has a tier one roster that just they have a freshman quarterback operating so that they're not a tier one team this year. Right. You know, right. Auburn has a freshman quarterback. Texas is obliterated with injuries. Um, and they have a Sam Ellinger. So. All right, and also Sam Ellinger. All right. I heard uh, the timer there. So you did moving on here. Uh, touched on briefly here. Michigan, what's going wrong? All right, so I obviously the uh, the change to the they've tried to spread it out. It's not going well for Michigan. Um, Chris, uh, Shea Patterson looks worse than he's worse than he's ever looked. Um, he's just been terrible. Uh, they're they don't look like they know what they're doing even defensively at times, like Wisconsin right. was just confusing the shit out of them by just shifting. So that was weird. Um, 
so yeah, I, I honestly think it's just a rebuilding year. And like, I don't know why it has to be this situation where like Jim Harbaugh is not the answer as their coach because I mean, wasn't it last year? Weren't they like in the driver's seat for a playoff position? And the, yeah, they got beat by Ohio State, but you know, some team you lose to Ohio State, like it happens. You know right. what I mean? And I know that they're frustrated by doing that, but you know, like we just got done talking about how there's an upper class in college football, and you know, if you're not part of that, then it's an issue. But it, that's just is how it is. Like, I don't know what Michigan can do to like really upgrade that situation, upgrade that position. Like, what are they right. going to do if they fire Jim Harbaugh? You know, right. Like, They're not. Do gonna, we have an answer? Urban Meyer. Um, <laughs> no. So I think the frustration from Michigan fans comes because this was very much a this was supposed to be our year sort of thing. They were told that this new offense was going to come in and it was going to play to Shea Patterson's strengths, which, first off, I'm not even sure we know what those are at this point, right? Right. Which is worrying for a quarterback who's this established. Yeah. The Um, the dude's a senior. Yeah. Like, we, I, like, to, I'm still not even sure that they're using him correctly. (laughs) Like, and part of that is because I, he might just not be that great. Um, the other aspect of that is, um, you know, I think that there was an expectation that Harbaugh was going to come in and he was going to recruit really well, which he has. And so Michigan was going to be able to become one of these schools that can reload. Um, uh, certainly that was your expectation given that you picked them for the playoff, Alex. Yeah. I mean, obviously I missed, I thought. I think, honestly, I just believe too much in Shea Patterson, even though, realistically, if you look at his career, we've never seen any sustained high-level play. Um, You know, at times he'll look fantastic, but most of the time, not fantastic. Um, I think I got seduced by the idea of them kind of spreading it out a little bit. I do, I think they have talent at wide receiver. Like, there are guys out there, and even late in the Wisconsin game, they, they just said, fuck this, we're just, you know, Shea just started throwing it up to those guys, and they were making plays against the Wisconsin defensive backs, and honestly, it's like, shit, why weren't you guys doing that the whole game, you know? Like, I, I think that I the play calling has been really bad in terms of just, it's been super conservative, and, like, they honestly should have lost to Army because they just, they ran the ball, like, 20 times in a row, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't clear why they weren't giving Shea Patterson a chance to throw it a little bit. Um, You know, so I, I don't know, like obviously there are issues, but like who was going to fix them? If not Jim Harbaugh, that's really my only point. It's just, I'm not even like, I know I watched a documentary and I like kind of like Harbaugh now, but like, I just don't see an alternative for Michigan. You know, there's not like there's this young up and coming guy. That's a Michigan guy that, everybody sees and it's like that's the guy right there you know maybe you know like matt campbell or something but like are we really blown away by what matt campbell's even doing this year you know what i mean so right i like so much of matt campbell's success has been that he's like probably the top anti-spread defensive mind um which just doesn't help michigan right well i mean and that's even i don't is he a defensive guy i don't even know i think he's 
like that's like a Heacock thing. And uh, right. well, yeah. he, I think really a lot of his shine comes from, you know, he beat OU and Norman, you know, and he's right. made Ohio's he's made Iowa state consistent, which is really, really impressive to do. Um, right. But at the but same that's time, not, that's it's not like, winning. That's not making the playoff at, at Michigan. Like no, that's like, that's, that's a different no. type of thing. Yeah. There's um, not a guy like Michigan needs their, they need their version of Lincoln Riley, but, I also I don't see that guy around. I don't think he exists. So I think that it, they're best at just stick with what they have. Like the guy has gotten them on the doorstep multiple times. It just hasn't worked out yet. Give yourself enough op- enough opportunities, and eventually you'll break through. I feel like real quick. I heard the timer. I've been trying to find literally any reason why the Michigan run game has been so dismal other than Karan Higdon not being there, like it makes no sense. They have four right. returning starters that were all first, second, or third team Big Ten. They were supposed like, to be a great offensive line. They could not block anybody against Wisconsin or Army. It makes like, absolutely no sense. Yeah, right. it, yeah well, it does. P- part of that is there's a degree to which um, you, like, you wonder they change offensive scheme, um, mm-hmm. and you, I don't know, is it a personnel thing? Even at the line, right. this question is like, are their blocking schemes suited to these guys? Um, you know, these uh, guys' abilities. That's like, true. That's absolutely true. Right? Are these uh, guys, we, like? I, I mean, I don't know what their splits are now, but like, right. presumably they're lining up wider. Uh, let's move on. We need to move on. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, the bottom of the SEC is falling out. Let's talk Tennessee and Arkansas as national embarrassments. Yeah, really happy to do this. Um, I two of the more annoying fan bases, you know, like especially Arkansas. Like, right. what a stupid state! Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bringing it, bringing it <laughs> on the Razorbacks. Does does the success of Chad Morris at Arkansas make you question whether or not you want Chandler Morris as a like decent backup quarterback at Oklahoma? Uh, I would take Jalen Morris. I, I don't know like if him. he can be trusted. Yeah, that's fair. Um, right. Well, these it's, teams are, are, or go ahead. I was just say some, I saw, <laughs> I think this was maybe NBA writer, Matt Moore, who pointed this out on Twitter, but like, man, Arkansas has no advantages, right? No, like, they don't. They, they don't. never, like, I guess they play A&M, obviously. They're in the right. same division. So they have a game in Texas every so, year. So like, let's just go, let's go here real quick. Um, and obviously I'm stealing this idea from uh, Red Dirt Sport on Twitter. Shouts to him, I guess. Um, he was tweeting at their official profile. They would never do this, but he's tweeting, hey, come to the Big 12. <laughs> um where they immediately kind of go up in terms of just prestige in the conference because they're probably what are they third or fourth in resources if they're in the Big Twelve? Like oh, absolutely. Well, the OU other thing about Texas, them being in the Big Twelve is that they get to play in Jerry World. Like, right. like so at that it makes that, a lot of sense. Right at that point, I think like you know, come to the Big Twelve. If if anything, like do this to get yourself more closely identified with your biggest booster like, sure and I, like yeah go ahead i was just gonna say like I, if i'm arkansas i would much rather be trying to pull guys from texas than from georgia yeah. right or i mean that's Tulsa. where they 
they need to be able to pull guys. Like they they've always had a good pipeline into Tulsa and Texas and that's where they need to go. And yeah, I don't know. They they're not getting it done right now. I will say, like, they recruited well in the twenty nineteen class. Um, they were, I think, twenty fifth, which is really solid right now they're sitting at 38th in the 2020 class which i think that that is likely to take a hit because i think teams are seeing that oh shit this is going down the drain um i know ou is trying to take advantage of that um there's a couple guys or there's at least one guy that i know ou was very interested in that chose arkansas over ou that might be looking our way again so um you know i think that that could be it could be going in a bad place. And if you look at, you know, what Chad Morris did at SMU and what's happening there now, it's like, huh, that's interesting. Like they've gotten better since he left, you know, the argument. Yeah. He did a good job at kind of getting them pointed in the right direction, but they are playing much better now than they were when he was there. So I think that that's something to kind of keep, keep your eye on as well. So, um, Let's talk about Tennessee real quick because, I mean, good lord, what a shit show they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like the, we, the Titanic quote has already been talked about on this podcast, followed by comparing the still existing players to rats. I don't know how you thought you were going to recover from that one. Yeah, yeah, it's like, man, Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt's not good at this. It's so satisfying by the way to finally see jeremy pruitt be what we thought kirby smart was going to be right yeah he is the 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 version that yeah that was yeah absolutely you you kind of roll the dice when you hire assistance off of an all-time great coach's staff because you might get a guy that learned the right things from that all-time great coach and you might get a guy that was just kind of riding the coattails of a great program and it seems like that is certainly the case. Do you know who Tennessee plays next, by the way? I do not. Could it's it be? Georgia. Oh, it's Georgia. Nice. Oh, that, that'll go swell. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. They get to play Georgia. Um, I mean, they might have a chance against Mississippi State at home, but probably not. Then they get to go to Alabama, and that's going to go even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, South Carolina at home. It's probably a loss, but, you know, they'll have a chance, I guess. Um. Yeah, and then maybe UAB. Maybe they're two and ten at the end of the year. I think that's probably with wins over Chattanooga and UAB. Yeah, and like them shitting the bed is is potentially more beneficial for OU recruiting than Arkansas. You know, like Arkansas does not recruit really on the same level as OU in really any way. But Tennessee, for whatever reason, they're able to kind of recruit pretty well, and they've got a couple guys that are the OU's kind of fighting for so that I've been rooting that I've had a vested interest in watching them be terrible um, this entire season, just because there's guys that I want off of their roster. Like they, I mean, they were number 12 in recruiting this past year. Like that's the number 12 recruiting class for that program. Like that's Jeremy Pruitt pulling those guys in. Like it's pretty incredible, honestly. So hopefully this, kind of nosedive keeps playing uh keeps going through and like this is a tennessee team that comes to norman next year by the way so lol at that they're gonna get to see spencer rattler and all of his glory next year 
Um, any final thoughts on Tennessee before we move on? Nope. Nothing. Hey, right, so, I'm here. Except I've always kind of liked Jarrett Guarantano, and I feel very bad for him. He's pretty bad at quarterback. He is bad. Yeah. He's not very good. Um, all right, let's move on. Right. Um, so, we have the Pac-12. What's going on there? I wouldn't uh, know, because I was on the East Coast recently. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So, um, this is sort of a broader look at the way UCLA Wazoo sort of embodied its entire conference. Right. Yeah, I mean, how many undefeated? Like, Cal is probably their biggest undefeated contender at this point. Yeah. Right. Is that Which... right? <laughs> Which, I mean, there's no way that's going to last. Like they Defensive stalwart, the Cal Bears. Yeah, like, they play good defense. Their offense is not very good. You know, they've, they haven't scored over 30 points at all this year, and they've played Ole Miss, UC Davis, and UNT. Like, that's not real encouraging. Um, they'll probably get a win this weekend when they play Arizona State, but who knows? They go to Oregon in a couple weeks, which is, you know, they'll probably lose that one. Uh, right. Oregon is currently predicted uh, to have a 90.5% chance to win that uh, game. So, yeah. Um, there you have it. Yeah. Cal is the only undefeated team left in the conference. Um, right. I mean, Oregon's the best contender left, like them and Washington. Like, both are ranked ahead of Cal, but they have one loss. Um, it'll. I'm interested to see what happens this weekend. I think Washington is going to kind of um, do to USC what Utah should have done to USC, um, which is hopefully beat them by two or three touchdowns because – it, that U, USC winning that football game just made no sense. Like USC has basically just done the opposite of what they were supposed to do every game this year. Um, and that's turned into a three and one record. And I, right. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep this up. And But hopefully, <laughs> like, hey, maybe they can pull off enough wins to keep Clay Helton's job. You know, who knows? That'd be hilarious. Um, I would love it. Uh, speaking of Cal, um, you know who the Cal Bears play next week and what I think would be probably the funniest way for their winning streak to end. Who's that? That would be Herm Edwards' very scary Sun Devils. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, going to be like 13 to 12. Yeah. No, and I it'll can, be 12 I to see... 11. They're going to lose on a safety that'll make it 13 to 12. I could see I could see Arizona State winning this game by only kicking field goals. Right. Uh, the winner of this game might not score a touchdown, which would be really interesting and fun right. to watch. I think but. I think that this could be a nine to seven victory. Like, and it is the get, ESPN game too. It is the nine thirty ESPN a, game. Are we gonna oh, get I a moment with Herm Edwards? Are we gonna get a moment with Herm Edwards like Frank Beamer holding his hands up? in success with the graphic of zero zero in regulation. <laughs> I hope I feel so. Like I that would be that best would case scenario. Week. I hope so. Just That's best oh, case man. scenario right, right there. I Arizona state is three and one Arizona state was decent last year too. I still don't really understand how or why. Yeah. They, they win games, but they're not as good as their record. Like it's just, it's very strange. And it's right. very frustrating as someone who is immediately on, off the Herm train. Right. I yeah. was 
I was like, great. Like, they're going to go eight and four this year. Yeah, I was like frantically pulling up stakes on the line in, before the Herm train could get going. Like, I don't. <laughs> this is the thing is like, I was absolutely convinced that this Herm Edwards thing is a train wreck, and I'm still not convinced I'm wrong. Right. Can um, we? I want to do something real quick. Um, I'm going to run through the Pac 12 teams and. I want us to see like how secure we feel like their coaches are, because um, I feel like there could be a lot of turnover in the next couple of years um, in this conference. I mean, nobody's seat is hotter than Clay Helton at USC. Right. Um, obviously, I mean, Kevin Sumlin is probably pretty close. I mean, he's right. probably going to last a little longer because they are going to have to pay him a lot of money to not coach there anymore. And it's Arizona. So, but I think he's he's definitely on the hot seat. Um, I don't know. Do we think Mario Cristobal is going to be at Oregon long term, like in three years? This is I, so. This is the weird thing about Oregon is that Mark Helfrich is still like the only coach they fired in the past thirty years. Yeah, it's true. Um, but at the same time, like, there has been a lot of Cristobal criticism of Cristobal, even given his relatively limit, even like the success he has had. Um, Their loss um, to Auburn, like there were articles written about how poor a job he did managing that game. Like it is a thing that he is a bad in-game coach now. Yeah. Um, And so like he has seems to be a good, he seems to be a good program builder, but yeah. Yeah. So he's been one of their better recruiters that they've had, isn't he? Yeah, he's right. good. I mean, certainly he's good. the best recruiter since like Chip Kelly was cheating. <laughs> right. So that's what's right. weird is like if Cristobal isn't there in three years, is it because he got fired or does he get like a promotion to the Florida State job? Like it could go either way. Like there is a wide range of outcomes for Cristobal, I feel like. Yeah, no, I think that's that's probably fair. Um, just real quick. I don't know. I think Chip Kelly's got like, three years. Um, I don't think he's going to turn them around because he's just not recruiting good enough players to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but I think they gave him a big enough contract and a long enough leash. He's going to have time to like fully fail before he does completely fail. So right. I don't know. And we'll like see. the administration at UCLA doesn't care about football enough to be like, right. Really interested in giving anybody the hot seat. That yeah. should tell you how bad a job Jim Morrow was doing. Sure. Hey, let's last one. What's going to happen with David Shaw at Stanford? Oh, that is a hard They're one. They're one and three. Like they just, they look forever. terrible. They look horrendous. Maybe he'll get the Michigan job. Oh God! Shut up. <laughs> um, they 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 look dreadful. Like I I don't know what to say about them other yeah, than I really wish they didn't. Um, they, well, yeah, but like they, they developed an identity that worked for them and they're just not able to execute that anymore. And that to me is right. definitely not a good sign for a coach. So I, I could see him being gone pretty quick. Right. All right. That's our time. Okay. Here we go. A hot button issue of the, of the, of the week here, Notre Dame, Georgia. What were they even doing? So I watched this game kind of flipping back and forth between Texas and Oklahoma State. They were on at the same time. Um, I really got the sense that Georgia 
should have beat them by like 24 or like 17 to 24 points or so. And they just decided they didn't want to do that. Like that was really right. the sense I got. Like at one point, Jake Fromm was like seven of eight for 24 yards. And it was just disgusting to watch. Um, and, you know, Georgia was just for whatever they were running against a stack box over and over and over again and just refused to let their good quarterback throw the ball at all or just at least down the field. And that really kept Notre Dame in the game. Like they had, you know, Ian Book was okay early and they found some stuff with their tight end that, you know, worked decently. And that kind of made the game close. Also, like Kirby Smart late in the game had an opportunity to go for it on fourth down to really kind of kill the game away. He decided he would rather kick a field goal because, of course, it's Kirby Smart. Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame just, you know, then drives and scores and gets the ball back down six with two minutes left. And my feeling at that point was there is a 0% chance Notre Dame is going to score here because Georgia's defensive line just decided, yeah, Ian Book's not going to have time to throw the ball. And that is exactly how the game ended. Notre Dame's drive ended really quickly after they got the ball back for that drive. And yeah, Georgia escaped, I guess, but it was to me, the game was never in doubt. Right. Well, there was so a few things. Let's talk about Jake from the best pre and post snap quarterback to have ever played the game. Um, uh, there was a point in this game where he was seven of eight for 24 yards yeah, uh, which I didn't really watch very much of this game. I was mostly focused on Oklahoma State, Texas, um, and these games felt poorly synced in a way that, like, like I would flip over to the Notre Dame Georgia game and like they would immediately call a timeout. Um, <laughs> but so just looking, watching these stats and just being like, you know, what are they doing? Like, is this the same sport? Why aren't they trying? You know. Right. Like and, and and this is the thing is that you talk about different types of football. You talk about like Mike Gundy coaching up basketball on grass. You've got, you know, the SEC speed, SEC power, whatever variant of good the SEC has decided it is predominantly. Um, and then you had this game where two teams just it was really like watching like mid table italian football where like you're you're coming from a world in which the perfect game ends nil nil and right like so you just got these like ex absurdly conservative decisions just complete every short pass just constantly end up in third and three and then like barely get it or get, end up in a fourth and short and punt like just and the thing about it is that Georgia could play really exciting football because they're yeah. really good. They and have they instead ridiculous they just, like, skill talent. Sank down to Notre Dame's level and played this like prime time ABC game where like people figured out stuff with their tight ends to find meager success. And it's like, what are we doing? What are we even doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's so frustrating. <laughs> No, it's, it's uh, and as a result now, and as a result, Notre Dame is now massively overrated because Georgia yeah. just decided not to boat race them. Right? Yeah, Notre Dame got to go in and hang with the top five team in the country. So now people think 
wow, this Notre Dame team might be legitimate. Like, wow, this is this is a really impressive performance. And I'm like, nope, they're gonna they're gonna be overrated for the rest of the year. They might, hell, they could sneak into the playoff if things fall right and they win out. And then they're going to get boat raced in the playoff because they're not that good. That's just the reality of the situation. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all if they go to Michigan and lose. Like, and I know that Michigan is what they are, but I don't think Notre Dame special at all. And I, I think that Georgia basically could have won this game by however many points they wanted to win this game. And I, they just decided that six points was enough. And that was what they settled for. And right. Yeah, that's why that's I'm just, at on that's this. That's just so frustrating. Yeah. All right. That's our timer. All right. How many more topics do we have? We got three. All right. Cool. Let's get them. All right. Here All we right. go. Maybe do these in three minutes. I think you, you overestimated or underestimated <laughs> how long five minutes actually is. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Speed rounds. Uh, Texas A&M University uh, currently oh, playing dang. out. We should have spent 30 minutes on this one. A nightmare season. Yeah, um, so I will say this about Texas A&M. I think that they are getting better. Jimbo Fisher is doing a much better job here than he did, at, especially at his, the end of his tenure at Florida State. And Where it just kind of seemed like towards the end he forgot offensive alignment were a position. Right. Um a&M, really what I want to talk about is that they have the most hilariously awful schedule I've ever seen. Um, obviously, they're in the toughest division in college football. They have to play Alabama, Auburn, LSU every single season, which that in itself is a gauntlet to have to throw down. And for, for, for whatever reason, they got unlucky and they scheduled Clemson. And... Uh, Clemson just so happened to turn into the best team in college football just in time for their, their home and home with them. So this season they had to go to Clemson number one in the country. They had, they lost to Auburn at home, number eight in the country. They still have Alabama at home. There's no way they're beating Alabama. They still have at Georgia. Who's number three in the country right now. That's their second to last game. And their last game this season is at LSU number four in the country. So, Right now, on their schedule, the top four teams in the country, three of which are on the road, the mm-hmm. one that's at home is Alabama. That really, really sucks. A&M's going to go 7-5, and five, and they're going to be a much better team than what they've been, probably. Like, mm-hmm. I think they've recruited well. They're doing things well. They're a competent football team. It just doesn't matter because they have the hardest schedule I've ever seen, and I am so happy that it's happening to them. Um, I am really excited for the sec, the back half of their season because they've got in the middle of arguably the hardest, not arguably definitively the hardest schedule in the country. They have one of the easiest runs. um, I can think of off the top of my head where they play the Mississippi schools back to back UTSA and then South Carolina. Um, Yeah. And just, I'm just so ready for them riding a four-week winning streak to roll into Athens, Georgia, and get obliterated. Yeah. Well, or lose by three points. Because right. Georgia get obliterated by enough. three points. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're going to get obliterated by three points against Georgia, and then they're going to go to Baton Rouge and get obliterated by 40. Right. That would be incredible. 
Um, I really, I mean, this is truly like there, there are two teams in college football that when they lose, it is a good thing for Oklahoma and like more than any other teams in college football, Texas and Texas A&M are those two teams because those are the two teams that we recruit against the most. Mm -hmm. And so I am really enjoying watching them just keep losing these big games. Like, you know, I think I guess they had that one win against LSU last year that they can kind of hang their hat on. But really, they don't have many big wins to hang their hat on. I think they're still right. kind of they're They still talk about beating Alabama in 2012. You know, so like, <laughs> right, it's it's getting pretty far removed from them actually having any legitimate wins, uh, which is which is good to see. But um, yeah, so keep right. rooting against A&M like their schedule is just. It's hilariously bad. Like that's really all there is. The good news is they'll probably get to boat race some like eight and four ACC coastal team in a bowl game. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Right. Um. Here's a here's a fun thing with their schedule. So four weeks into the season, they're ranked. They have Arkansas this week. Um. Assuming they don't screw that up, I heard the timer. Um. They're going to be ranked going into the Alabama game. I can't imagine a loss to Alabama destroying their ranking. It'll probably put them back around where they are now. Then they're going to win four straight games. Like, are we going to have to deal with like Texas A&M, a top 15 team, going into these laughable contests against Georgia and LSU? It's entirely possible. Let's move on. Right. Next topic is De'Eric King making the most baffling personnel decision uh, any of us have ever seen a college football player make. Yeah, um, honestly, if you think about it, though, doesn't it make sense? Oh, it like, makes so much sense, which is why it's played, so weird. He's played this year. Houston's lost enough football games to where they're not really going to be able to accomplish anything this season. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to come back next year and give it another try. And honestly, can you think of a better thing for the Houston football program than having no. another chance with De'Eric King? Yeah. No, this is – and this, this is the wild thing is that this is not an unheard of thing in sports. This is like last year when the Lakers lost their playoff shot and the little run was like, I'm done for the year. This yeah. is the exact same thing. And it's just so weird that it's happening at, the, at college football. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's – Derek King making like recognizing that his talent is going to be wasted if and he's potentially going to get hurt if he keeps playing this year, so he's just going to redshirt. That's incredible. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was it's such a weird story, kind of or kind of a big story to start with. You don't really see guys in the middle of a season, you know, decide to redshirt and transfer without right. well, an injury not, like, or starting a getting quarterbacks benched. with like right. with like not really Heisman hype, but like. Like that sort of like alt Heisman hype, um, right. just deciding to be done for the year for no reason. Right, and it's not like he got benched for somebody or got hurt or something. He just decided to redshirt, and it was like, oh, he's going to transfer somewhere, and then you know be on a better right. team. But like, and then it got weirder that he's staying there to after redshirting. Right. Well, it's like the instant the idea that he was redshirting came up, everyone was like, oh, okay, he wants to go to Oklahoma. <laughs> Which, Which, yeah, I, it makes sense. Like looking at it, yeah, go to OU, where the transfer U quarterback school. I get it, but there's no way in hell he would start over Spencer Rattler. And right. obviously, Derek doesn't want to be a backup quarterback. I think Derek King would be unbelievable under Lincoln Riley. Like he would right. put up better numbers than he's ever put up. 
But yeah, he's not being asked Spencer Rattler. It'd be, Rattler it'd be a Gerard Hurd here. Yeah, right. switch him to receiver. Yeah. Um, Did anything come from the, you know, whenever he first said he was going to redshirt his, like, first talking to the media, he said, it's not just me, it's a bunch of us. Like, whatever came to that, are those guys also redshirting and staying in Houston? Are they God, I really hope so. Looking somewhere I really else? hope that Dana Holgerson has found, like, a silver bullet. To, that would be like, hilarious. The, to, like, turning around a program. Yeah. To, like, jumpstarting a turnaround. We're tanking this year. Yeah. Right. So Dana, Dana was like, well, the Dolphins are going to get Tua for doing it. So what am I going to get? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, man. So until Dana, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. A requiem for Josh Rosen. Um, right. Derek King. It's fascinating. Um, do we think this will become a thing? I don't. I, I nah. don't think that you're going to see a situation. I, I think you'll see more and more. Of a guy like what we originally thought this was going to be, where a guy's redshirting and transferring, like even as like a starting quarterback, I think you'll see more of that. But I don't, I don't think you're going to see this where he's like, you know what, let's just try again next year. Because I think if you're in a situation where it's not very good, usually you're going to want to get out of that situation. So right. this, this is, I think, is a very rare case that right. we probably. Might happen a couple other times, but probably not as right. on a high profile case like this. Right. Well, this is a sort of thing where, like, if Jake Frum got hurt, like, I could see, like, some Georgia guys maybe doing it. Like, that sort of thing where it's like, oh, a team that really has something to play for, like, something bad yeah. happens. And so, like, some guys are like, well, I would rather win. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Which, but I think a lot of those guys, they're going to want to get to the NFL as fast right. as possible anyway. That's, so well, yeah, like, that's the, yeah, I guess that's the other thing that's like, this is a very specific scenario where like, normally normally guys who hang them up right now are going to go prepare for the draft. And like, yeah. Derek King doesn't really have that as an option. Yep. And there's our timer. Okay. Um, Last topic. We've got uh, the OU quarterbacks in the NFL, Baker and Kyler. Okay, you wanted to talk about this. All right. So Baker Mayfield's not playing well in the NFL right now. Right. Um, Kyler Murray looks very, very, very much like a rookie um, on a bad team, which he is. Um, But my thing, my question, it's really more of a question. If. Like, what if Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray don't pan out in the NFL? Like, what does that say about Lincoln Riley as an offensive coach if Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray never turn into, like, NFL stars? Um, I It's hard to say. Um, I think they're both – well, first off, because they're both such improbable NFL quarterbacks to begin with. Yeah. Like, um, they're both undersized. Baker – we can pretend Baker isn't undersized, but he is. Oh, yeah, um, he is. Uh, Kyler is very undersized. Um, and apparently Daniel Jones is proving that all you have to be is tall. So, um, yeah, it's it, – it's certainly – I mean, it's going to speak to the quality of his ability to put players in positions to succeed. I don't, like – I also feel like, in a way, it's an indictment on the NFL for being a horrible league where these players are not, like, 
how are we playing football and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray aren't fun? Like, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I also, and I know we're speaking in the hypothetical of these guys busting, but like, I think Baker will figure it out and Kyler will remain interesting. I mean, he was interesting in his week one tie. Yeah. Yeah, I think Baker, I don't even know that it's anything for Baker to figure out, really. I mean, this might be the relative worst offensive line he's ever played behind. Like, they're just abysmal. And, you know, one of Baker's things that he's always been great at is his improvisation and throwing on the run and getting out of the pocket. And I think we're seeing now that he's great at that on his own terms. And it's like... He is great at that whenever receivers are covered and he has time to throw, and then like he has time to get out of the pocket when he wants to. Right now, they're just he's immediately facing pressure and then having to scramble around. And whenever Baker does that, we had seen it before earlier in his OU career. Like he he tends to press. Like that is the mentality that he has. He tries too right. hard once that's happening. And I think for him it's as simple as that. I mean, he was great last year with the good O line and worse receivers than he has this year. Now he has Odell Beckham, and he's a worse quarterback. I think it's simply for him, just the O-line. Not worried about him at all. Kyler, also not worried about him. I mean, with the quarterback being that short, it is an O-line problem there as well. Like, he's, I don't think the, you know, throwing over guys is too big of an issue if you can, you know, just keep them where they're supposed to be. But yeah, if those guys are going to be on him already, like he's had a lot of passes batted down. And I think for him, it's just going to be more of a learning curve and figuring that out. I think he's been, you know, fairly decent for a rookie so far. Yeah. Um, not really uh, a great opportunity to succeed when you're getting sacked by your own tackles. Um, I, uh, I mean, with Baker, I think there's a degree to which there's a coaching problem there, too. I like Freddie Kitchens, but like they're doing different things than they were doing when they were having success last year. And probably a lot of it comes down to the fact that the offensive line isn't playing as well. Um, they can't get Nick freaking Chubb established. Um, that's a big problem. Um, they potentially win the game last week if they hand the ball to Chubb once in a goal line situation to win the game. Uh, but other than, like, other than that, yeah. Um, Baker's holding on to the ball too long, but part of that is that he's having to run for his life. Um, and part of that is that the offense isn't, like, I don't know. There's a lot that the Browns need to change um, to live up to their potential. Um, and part of that is that their offensive line is bad, and part of it is that they're just not playing in a way to maximize like the ability of Baker Mayfield to throw to Odell Beckham Jr. and hand the ball off to Nick Chubb. All right, I got you. Um, I just think it's interesting to think about, like, you know, if Lincoln Riley was doing what he did with guys that aren't superstar NFL quarterbacks, yeah. then that that's really, right. really impressive. Yeah, I do right. agree. And that's I think- like, yeah. I guess I think like the, the point you were inferring, like that it's you know not an indictment on him that he can't produce NFL talent. It's like wow, this guy is that great of a mind that he can do that. Let's right. give well, him you think, whatever you money think he about, wants. Um, you think about the the Jimbo Fisher's finishing school for quarterbacks that got us EJ Manuel, and like that was a thing for a while. 
um, where people where like there was a thought that playing quarterback for Jimbo Fisher would get you into the NFL, um, which I guess isn't not true. Um, but it would the, get uh, you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like the other thing to think about that is like you look at the guys coming in and it's like, oh man, these are guys who like are NFL prototypes. <laughs> like right. the like the Spencer Rattler comparison is Patrick freaking Mahomes. Brock Vandergraff is like the most prototype prototype to have um, come to OU since ever. Yeah, yeah. ever. Like Rhett Bomar. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah. Looking sure. forward. Potentially yeah. very cool. Yeah, um, right. Let's uh let's let's be done, man. We've we've gone for yeah, a while. That that exhausts our list. Uh this was not a way to make a short podcast, we discovered. No. Um <laughs> clocking in at just about uh, an hour and a half. Uh thanks for listening. You can subscribe to our podcast uh from the Apple Podcast app, from the Google Play Store, or through Podbean. Um you can follow us on Twitter at RWMaxi, at Alex P. Purdy, and at NotThatSamDavis. If you've enjoyed the podcast, leave us a review or share it with a friend. And we'll be back next week to talk about a game that didn't matter um, and get ready for what lies ahead.